If you take your precious Bible this morning and turn to the book of Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. As you're turning there, uh, we, we have a, a little text group with the tech team that I'm on. And I just saw Rick send a text to Brandon. says, just use the forward arrow on the keyboard to advance to the next slide. No need to search for them. They are in order. And, and here, here Brother Rick is, hundreds of miles away, still serving his local church. And it's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely love the faithfulness of our people. Hosea chapter 7, God willing will be expounding verses 14 through 16 this morning. The title of the message is, Cry Yourself to Sleep. Cry Yourself to Sleep. Hosea 7 verse 14 through 16. And in this chapter, Israel has been suffering as a result of her departure from the Lord. Nevertheless, instead of turning from their evil ways and returning back to God, they persisted in their evil ways and turned to godless nations for help instead. Israel was determined to remain in her sins, so they couldn't return to God. They wanted a God who would deliver them from the consequences of their evil ways, yet allowed them to continue in their evil ways. And whoever serves a God like that is not serving the one true God, but a God of their own imagination, no matter what name they call Him. They may call Him the God of the Bible, but if they're serving a God like that, it's not the God of the Bible. In fact, if you'll remember when the children of Israel were in, in the wilderness, and Moses hadn't come down from the mountain, they made a false God, a molten calf, and they said, here's the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Like, what? <laughs> no, it's not. But they still wanted to call the calf by the name of the God of Israel. And people do the same thing today, but don't be fooled by it. In the 80s and the 90s here in America... America was plagued with a terrible disease called AIDS. Famous people were becoming sick with it. And as they were becoming sick, America learned that AIDS was the direct result of sexual perversion, specifically homosexuality. People were afraid of catching AIDS back then. How many of y'all were afraid of catching AIDS back then? A lot of us were. My wife got out of the dental industry because of it. People in law enforcement, as I was, were afraid to arrest and handle uh, people with that disease that had no cure. And I remember going to certain places where the homosexuals hung out, and sometimes I would have to arrest them. You'd see sores on their bodies and things like that. It was a terrible time for America. And, and how did America respond to this plague? They did the same thing Israel did. Instead of running to the one true God, they ran to false gods whom they hoped would deliver them from the consequences of their evil ways 
It allowed them to continue in their evil ways. Instead of condemning the sin that brought that dreadful disease upon us and running to God for help, America embraced the sin and ran to science labs instead. And and public campaigns. I remember when Magic Johnson got AIDS. They would come out with this public campaign letting the children know it's still okay to give Magic a hug. You know? Don't want him to be distanced from anybody. He's still a hero. It's okay to still give Magic a hug. I remember all of that. But America did that. They, they, they ran to the false gods of the science lab, spending millions and millions of dollars researching a way to find a cure for AIDS. When all we had to have done was follow God's Word for free. It would have fixed it. And now, after billions of dollars and several decades of sorrow, what did America do? We went from AIDS to monkeypox. When all we had to do was go to God's Word. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. True help doesn't keep us in our sin. It delivers us from our sin. God said, if you look now in verse 14 this morning... And they have not cried unto me with their heart. If Israel would have cried unto the Lord for help, God would have heard their cry and He would have helped them. Psalm chapter 18 verse 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. And it says, He heard my voice out of His temple and my cry came before him even into his ears. All they had to do was cry unto God for help. To call upon the Lord and cry unto Him is to put your hope in God and seek His help in your time of need. Israel cried to others for help as America cried to the science labs and to the doctors and, and to, uh, uh, to the public at large for help, but she didn't cry to God. And if the Israelites did cry to God during that time, God said it wasn't, quote, with their heart. Meaning their heart was not in agreement with God's Word. They may have been seeking Him for a resolution, but not for redemption from that sin. They didn't want that. They wanted to persist in serving false gods and continuing in their evil ways. Sometimes people cry to God for help to get out of trouble, like Israel. But they're unwilling to forsake the sin that got them into trouble in the first place. There are certain foreign dignitaries, you may not know this, Brother Shepherd does, there are certain foreign dignitaries that enjoy diplomatic immunity. And I remember when I was in the highway patrol and reading in the manuals and studying them and we had to learn about the diplomatic immunity and there's some folks you just can't arrest or if you do you've got to contact consulate and all these other things, embassies and all. And I remember reading all of that as I was learning about it. And I remember thinking to myself, here some foreigner can come into our country, break our laws, and have no consequences whatsoever. And that really irritated me. But worse than that are people who want to break God's laws and have no consequences for their sins. They may cry to God when they are in trouble, but they are not crying for deliverance. They're crying for immunity. And God does not do that. He adjudicates every sin, and that's why we had a cross. 
God said, they did not cry unto me with their heart. Look back in your text. When they howled upon their beds. Now, this isn't talking, Abigail. I see that look on your face. He's got that grin. This is not talking about, oh, not talking about that kind of howl. This is talking about wailing. Wailing with a whole sorrowful cry. God said they, they howled upon their beds. It means to wail in sorrow. Israel was so miserable in their sins that they wailed upon their beds because of the condition they were in. You know, the bed, the bed should be a place of, of peace and rest. I love climbing into bed and snuggling up in those sheets and having it nice and quiet in my luxury bed with the little tilt and all that stuff I have on its luxury. And I enjoy that. I enjoy having a peaceful night's sleep. But for Israel, the bed was not a place of peace and rest. It was a place of sorrow. You know, in times of sorrow, the bed becomes a... Particularly lonely place to be. Do you know that for those people who grieve? The bed becomes very lonely. I know by experience. Do you know why? Well, during the day our minds are distracted. We've got work. We've got chores. We have social interactions with other people. And, and all of that demands our attention. It becomes a distraction to the grief that we're dealing with at that time. But, but when we go to bed and we begin to lie in the stillness of the night, the grief begins to come to the forefront of our minds. And sometimes causing us to cry ourselves to sleep. Again, I've experienced such times in my life. And many, if not most, of you have as well. And if you'll be honest... And if you'll look back over the most painful experiences of your life, you will find that many, if not most, of those painful experiences were completely unnecessary for you to go through. Completely. Every sorrow on earth was born from Adam's sins. But most of the tragedies that we experience in life today are the results of sins that we commit are the result of sins that people close to us commit, that we have no control over. But that's what causes those sorrows when we wail upon our beds, and the sorrows are completely avoidable. The most painful times in our lives are often the results of decisions that somebody made that we know, whether ourselves or a loved one, that were made in opposition to God's Word. And they make the bed a place of sorrow. If you're investigating financial fraud, then you follow the money. And if you follow the money, it will lead you back to the corruption. If you're investigating unnecessary grief, then you follow the activity. And the activity will lead you back to the sin. Israel was lying in bed at night wailing over the desire, the dire straits that their nation was in. And, and God was tracing their sin back, or that situation back to the sin that caused that wailing in their bed. There's some things we can't control in life. 
if one of your loved ones develops Alzheimer's, for example, or, or cancer or something like that, there's no need to worry about what somebody did to cause that. In John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, this subject came up. John 9, 1, Jesus, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Not that they had never sinned in their life, but that, that the, the, the blindness was not a result of their sin. He said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Because he was about to heal him. Here's a kingdom truth. Not all contemporary suffering is the result of contemporary sin. Israel's was. Most of ours is. But not all contemporary suffering is the result of contemporary sin. Hosea chapter 7 is not trying to create unnecessary guilt. It is trying to prevent unnecessary grief. If Israel would have only turned back to God and embraced His Word, they could have avoided so much unnecessary heartache and destruction. And we can do the same. If only we'll turn back to God's Word. All over this world there will be parents tonight who weep in their beds because they have a child that's homeless or that's in prison or that's addicted to drugs. There's nothing wrong with their children. They're physically and mentally capable of living a normal, productive life. Nothing wrong with them except that they are living contrary to God's Word. And they're destroying their lives because of it. The pain the children are experiencing, the pain the parents are experiencing tonight, will be completely avoidable. Totally unnecessary. It could all be remedied quickly. If only that child would repent and follow God's Word. That's simple. Tonight there will be people weeping in their beds because some drunk driver, some gang member, some soldier in an unjust war killed their loved one. That'll happen tonight as well. And these people will wail upon their beds for the senseless heartache that was caused by people who chose to not love their neighbors as themselves. Tonight there will be men and women crying themselves to sleep because their husband or wife doesn't love them like the Bible says. They'll wail upon their beds when a simple change of mind could immediately heal the broken heart. There will be people wailing in their beds because their sinful lives have brought them painful consequences. I personally know several people right now who are miserable, not because of what others are doing to them, but because of what they are doing to themselves. If they would only change their mind and agree with God's Word, they would be delivered from their self-inflicted sorrows. But they refuse to do so. Does anyone know anyone like that today? 
It's sad. I I see a lot of hands popping up out there. They just refuse to do so, so they continue to well. Yes, there will be people weeping in their beds all over the world tonight whose broken hearts can be traced back to broken commandments. Pure and simple. That was a situation Israel was in, and this is a situation that many people are in today. Here's another kingdom truth for you. Broken commandments make broken hearts. Broken commandments make broken hearts. I said it many, many times, and I continue to say it because I continue to see it. And it's this, sin hurts people. Not every heartache is caused by somebody's sin, but every sin will cause result in somebody's heartache. You can mark it down. Like people today, Israel was so miserable, they would cry on their beds, but they wouldn't cry to God. God said, look back in your text, they assemble themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. They assemble themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. They gather themselves together to uh, to try to meet their needs. Instead of gathering themselves to the Lord. Today we gathered together. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we assemble, we gathered together today. Why? In recognition that we need God. We need His Word. We need His help. We need His grace. We need His direction. We need God. We're assembling ourselves together. But these people... When they had these felt needs that were brought on by their sin, instead of assembling themselves together to God and to seek God's face, they assembled themselves together and began to try to solve their problems without God in direct rebellion to God. If you have a modern translation uh, here this morning, your Bible may say they cut themselves for corn and wine. Does anyone say that? I'm just curious. Anyone say that? Some do say they cut themselves for corn and wine instead of assemble themselves for corn and wine. And the reason is the Septuagint translates it that way. That's the, the, uh, the, uh, the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It translates it that way because the, the idea was that the assembly together was so that they would cut themselves as they assembled to uh, their false gods and prayed for him in in direct rebellion against God. But either way, the end result is the same. They assembled themselves for corn and wine instead of assembling themselves to God. And they continued in their rebellion against Him, showing the nation's solidarity in their sinful choices that they made. God said, verse 15, Though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. The Hebrew language, when we're looking at bound and strengthened, that Hebrew word translated bound there, it has the idea of training, instructing. And so when we're looking at binding the arms, we look at God teaching the arms, instructing, that's literally what he's saying, instructing the arms and strengthening them. He's bound and strengthened their arms. God is saying, even though I taught them what to do, and made them strong. They seek to defile my name and give credit for what I've done for them to false gods instead. 
They seek to turn against me. God said, verse 16, they return but not to the Most High. When the prodigal son was in trouble, he knew where to return to, didn't he? He returned home to his father. When a Christian is in trouble, we know to return to our God. When you run into hard times, it's great to have a place to return home to. But Israel was returning to somebody else's house. The other day we had a, something happen at the house. It was real sad. The clouds began to roll over. Y'all got rain in Maybank this morning, Leslie said. Good for y'all. Praise God for y'all. We didn't get it. Because I have not prayed for it to, to rain yet. It will not rain without my word. Just like in the Bible. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but uh, we, we had clouds roll over. Storm clouds. And the wind blew and no rain, you know. It rained south of us. It didn't rain over our house. But when the clouds blew over, man, the wind was blowing real hard. And we started getting thunder. And I thought, well, hey, what wonderful. So I was going to step outside to look up in the sky to see if we were about to get rain. And when I stepped, when I, when I opened the, the wood door, you know, I have the storm door here, the glass storm door. And there is a stray dog in my front yard. And that dog just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. He is scared of the thunder. He's a big dog, big dog, scared of the thunder. Well, I'd seen the dog in my yard before. He belongs to a neighbor down the road from me, and he gets out, jumps over the fence, and gets out. It's pretty frequent. So when I go to open the door to step outside to check the clouds, that dog tries to run inside my house because he's scared of the thunder. Well, I got my own big dog in the house, and that would not be good. So I would not let that big dog into my house. And the sad thing is this, just down the road, just down the road there was a man who cares for that dog. Just down the road, judging from that dog's desire to, to come into my house, apparently just down the road he could have went into his own house. And receive comfort, consolation during the storm that he was facing. Food and shelter. But nope, that silly dog was more willing to enter the home of a stranger than the home of his master. And it didn't work out for him. That's the way Israel was. They had become so estranged from God that they had lost their sense of home. Man, you don't want to ever do that. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3, and I'm going to read to this to you out of a modern version. A bull knows its master, and a donkey knows where its owner feeds it. But Israel does not know me. My people do not understand. Home should be the first place a sinner should run to. The problem is you can't, you can't recognize or identify your home if you don't recognize your father living there. Right? 
You can't identify a home if you don't recognize your father living there. And that's what Israel wouldn't do. They would not recognize God as their God, so they could not identify the home to run to. Until the human heart recognizes God, it will never know the peace, the joy, and the safety of coming home to God. Amazingly, when Cain killed Abel and God addressed Cain, he didn't say, Cain, you're going to be cursed from the earth and one day you're going to go to hell. He didn't tell Cain that. Do you know what he told Cain in Genesis 4.12? After Cain rejected God's offer to repent, God told him, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Listen to this now. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. A fugitive is someone that's running from the law. That's what Cain was. He was running from God. Do you know what a vagabond is? When you go down the road and you see a homeless person and they got, you know, maybe a backpack or they got all their junk they're carrying and they're going from one place to another. They're going down the road and they got their thumb out like this. And they're just traveling from one place to another to another. And they never have a place to call home. That's a vagabond. The Bible says that Cain went out and dwelt in the land of Nod, N-O-D. It doesn't mean Cain said, oh, here is the city of Nod. No, Cain went out and built his own city. He had his own city. He had his own house. Nevertheless, he was a vagabond. He had a house, but he didn't have a home. He dwelt in the land of Nod. The word Nod means wandering. Physically, Cain had a house. Spiritually, he was a vagabond. He was a fugitive from God. He was a vagabond. Spent the rest of his life wandering in the earth, wasting his time. He was a fugitive in the earth because he ran from God. He was a vagabond in the earth because he forsook God. And because he forsook God, his heart never had a place to call home. So sad. Jesus said when he comes... Uh, that uh, when He comes again in the clouds, He'll take us into, our, into Himself, that where He is, there shall we be also. We'll always have a place to call home because we have a Savior who brought us home to God through His death and His resurrection. God said, look back in your text, they are like a deceitful bow. It's so sad that some people spend their whole lives wandering about the, the world and they, their heart never finds that rest and peace because they never find God. They don't have a place to come to. And then he says they're like a deceitful bow. Now I know someone the other day who, who went shooting a bow. Went archery shooting. And man, when you take that bow... And you pull that arrow back and you aim it at that target and you release that arrow. That's why people come here. It's because of the incredible sound effects. And it, and it goes and it lands on that target. That's fantastic. Especially if you're a hunter 
or if you're in war or something like that, you need that, you need that, that bow to land the arrow on the target. The Bible says in Psalms 127 verse 4, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Or so are children of the youth. So, and it goes on to explain how the, the children will take up for the parents and all those things. And so, children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. He puts them in his bow. He pulls them back and he releases them in the right direction. You know something? Sometimes it doesn't matter how well you raise a child. It doesn't matter how straight your bow is. You pull that child back and you release that arrow and it goes the wrong way. It goes the wrong way. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. And you spend your youth raising them up, your strength, you pull them back, you give them everything they need. Because the arrow can't go on its own. The arrow has to be pulled back by somebody else, someone mighty, someone with strength. And God took His children, the people of Israel, and He took His bow, He took His law, He, he taught and strengthened their hands. He taught them the direction to go, He gave them everything they needed to go, and He pulls the nation of Israel back, He's going to send them off in the right direction, and when they land, they're going to have victory, they're going to have peace, they're going to have prosperity, the fatness of the land, victory over their enemies... A covenant relationship with God. The nation will have it made. He pulls them back in that direction. He releases them. And they're like a deceitful bow. They go. And it looks like they're going the right way. And next thing you know, that arrow goes. And just curves the wrong direction. And how many parents have experienced that with their kids? They pull it back. And they release that arrow. From that bow, that trusty bow. And next thing you know, you watch the child go and everything looks good. And next thing you know, veers off in the wrong direction. And the arrow gets lost. The arrow fails to hit the target that God had given it. That God created it for. God had strengthened Israel. He had drawn Israel back like a, a bow to release them upon His enemies, to release them to victory. But when God released the bow and fired the nation of Israel, they changed course and turned against Him. He taught them. He strengthened them. And they flew off in the wrong direction. And now God said, look back in your text, Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. Their leaders, instead of marching on in victory, they're going to fall by the sword. Why? Because of the rage of their tongue. When you get to the book of the Revelation, you'll see there'll be a man of sin. And he'll blaspheme God and he'll boast great things against God. And, and, and you know, people are so loose with their tongues today in the United States about God. They're so loose to discredit God, to discredit the fact of God, to, to, to make Christians look out to be stupid, weak people who invent a religion to make it through life. And these people had done the same. They'd boasted. You remember Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? Their leaders would have triumphed over their enemies. 
But now they're going to fall by the sword. Their proud and their haughty words they spoke against God are going to condemn them. And, look back in your text, this, God said, as we begin to close, shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. What was the land of Egypt? That's the place God saved them from. That's the place God delivered them from. They were all high and mighty when they came out of Egypt. Got victory over Pharaoh. God's great love, He delivered them from the land of Egypt. He raised them up to be a great and mighty nation. But now that they have blasphemed God and rejected His word, they're going to fall by the sword and enter back into captivity again. Not to the nation of Egypt, but it's going to be the derision of Egypt. Egypt will get the last laugh, at least for the time. Yeah, you, got, you, you escaped us, but now look at you. Ha, ha, ha. The bondage that God had worked deliverance for them from would now laugh at them again, bringing shame upon their land. And we'll close with this kingdom truth. Those who mock their God today will be mocked in hell in the end. Those who mock their God today will be mocked by hell in the end. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you, dear Lord God, for your, uh, your um, plainness of speech. We thank you, Father, for your incredible descriptive words that paint images in our minds, dear Lord God, that show us, Father, where we go wrong as a nation. Lord, we thank you, Father God, that even though we're reading about something that happened, Lord, uh, thousands of years ago Lord it, it's so timely for our nation today so relevant so needful and Lord I pray Father for those whose beds tonight will be a place of sorrow I pray dear Lord God that you'll comfort those who grieve for other people's sins and let that place where they now shed tears become a place, Lord, will one day, Father, they will lay on that bed and by your grace they will thank you for bringing them, Father, to the tragedy they're facing today. I pray for the parents. I pray for the spouses. I pray for the Christians, dear Lord God, who are struggling because of other people's decisions. Father, I pray for those who weep in bed tonight because of the things that they've done. I pray that they will not do like Egypt. They'll quit gathering themselves together, quit seeking gods that will, will condone their sin, but seek one that will deliver them from it. That they'll confess their sins and turn to you and seek an immediate relief from their unnecessary pain. I pray, Father, Lord, this in Jesus' precious and holy name, that others, Father, will no longer cry themselves to sleep, but will weep in bed for joy. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.